according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, working our way through, we're down in about verses 3, 4, and 5. Noticing that uh, there's not a lot of linkage between from verse to verse, that we seem to communicate a truth or two in each verse, and then we move on to the next verse where we communicate a truth or two in the next verse, and same thing in the next verse, and occasionally we get to something like verse 5 that yeah, seems to connect back to verse 1 again, and related to uh, parents and children in, uh, in that regard. Uh, but the connection is loose. It's not firm. And that's what we deal with from chapters 10 through 24, uh, the shotgun approach to doctrine, whereby these verses almost preach themselves. They're self-evident as they lay out God's wisdom in the short, pithy statements that we find. So uh, in any event, here we are. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. All right, well, we'll stop the reading there. I don't think we'll get past that verse this morning, but we'll see. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer, asking God the Father to set aside distractions and to humble us under the authority of his truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together. I thank you for truth. I thank you for the absolute nature of truth, for the certainty that comes and the certitude that comes as we adjust our thinking to the realities of your revealed word. I thank you, Father, that your word is uh, sustaining and that it is stabilizing because we live in a, in a culture, in a generation, in a nation whereby uh, folks are being tossed about tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And yet, Father, we have stability through the, uh, the sure and certain truth of your word. And I thank you for that. So bless us once again today as we open the, uh, our eyes, as we open our ears, as we open our hearts. Father, uh, feed us from the truth of your word. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So in the process here, we've gone through main point one, main point two, main point three. And that's where we left off. And then point four, talking about posterity, prosperity. So I'm guessing it's probably... Nope. I guessed wrong. There. All right. Posterity, prosperity. That is the wealth of a heritage, the wealth of a legacy that we're passing on to, uh, to our children and to our grandchildren. Posterity of prosperity has only one standard, the dichotomy of wisdom versus foolishness. What is it that we are passing on to the next generation? All right, and uh, the uh, impact of this. Run through the subpoints there. No, no subpoints. Thought I had subpoints. Nope, no subpoints. All right. Verse 2 Ill gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 10 2. We want to contrast. Earthly wealth versus heavenly wealth. Temporal uh, riches versus eternal riches. And if we're all wrapped up in our earthly bank account, we've missed the point. The real issue is our heavenly bank account. All right? Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. And we want to contrast and, and make sure that we're clear on what it is that truly profits. And the real profit is not investing for a year, for five years, for 10 years, for 30 years. Uh, end-of-life estate planning, uh, all of that, that's temporal, that's earthly. Even if you've got your whole portfolio lined up for, say, the next 60 years. I hope I'm not here in 60 years, but whatever the case may be, all right? You've got your portfolio lined up and all these other investments, that's not long-term investment. That's still temporal, that's still earthly, that's still within the bounds of time, all right? 
Uh, so the next time you sing Amazing Grace and, and you get to that verse that says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, that's what I call long-term planning. <laughs> right? Let's invest for 10,000 years from now. In, in other words, beyond time and on into eternity and those issues there. Okay, I remember my father told me that when I was 17 years old. He says, 10,000 years from now, what difference will it make? And that was, um, that was the morning I woke up and my neighbor had hit my car my brand new car that I'd had home for 24 hours and my next door neighbor hit it. And, uh, and so I go walking out there. Of course, the dent is this big and you're just furious. And, uh, and well, 10,000 years from now, what difference will it make? Say, in any event. So we have all these scriptures uh, from Proverbs 10.2. It's going to come back again in Proverbs 11.4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And when we're talking about issues of physical life and physical death, spiritual life and spiritual death, that physical wealth does nothing for you in the uh, realms of spiritual life and death. So uh, the other scriptures there, we spent last week dealing with those, 1 Samuel 12, 21, Psalm 49, and the whole chapter in Psalm 49 is worthwhile. Luke 12, Jesus was teaching about that fool that was tearing down his barns so he could build the bigger barns. Uh, and then my favorite is 1 Timothy chapter 6 instruct those who are rich in this world all right and uh, the application that gets made there to be generous and ready to share and the and the recognition of why god has assigned you that responsibility that god is not uh you know uh, blessed you because he couldn't control himself he couldn't help himself he just looked at you and said wow (laughs) i can't help myself this person's so special i just gotta i just gotta make him wealthy all right no he has assigned to you a trust and a responsibility that uh, through your wealth then uh, his children are going to be provided for and, and other needs will be met and other things will be done. And he's, he's entrusted a very dangerous responsibility to you because most people, including you, uh, are going to struggle with a prosperity test. And so uh, in this regard then, uh, you've got to be found faithful. It's required of stewards that one be found faithful. And, uh, and if you blow it, then... Uh, God will remove that and assign somebody else who's going to be faithful, the responsibility to have that ministry towards, uh, towards his children in that capacity. All right, and so that's uh, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. And we move on and we talk about appetites in verse 3. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the cravings of the wicked. So what's this about? Because I get hungry. Does that, you know, what does that mean? Am I not righteous? All right, well, this, there's, there's broad themes that are being addressed in this, all right? And the real hunger that's involved here is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And there's any number of appetites. There's food appetites, there's doctrinal appetites, there's spiritual appetites, there's sexual appetites, there's any number of appetites. And God provides for all of them, legitimately so. Legitimate appetites are designed by God and provided for. Those are the legitimate appetites. He knows you're hungry. He knows you need to eat. He feeds the lilies, you know, he, he, uh, the birds, right? He feeds the birds. He dresses the lilies. Um, he understands the legitimate appetites for food, for drink, for sex, for, for doctrine, for righteousness, for, for everything that's a legitimate appetite. God provides it, all right? Legitimate. And so uh, we have the descriptions here. Now, this is where we ran out of time, and I believe we looked at all the verses for the legitimate ones. We did not look at the illegitimate ones. Am I correct? Am I not correct? Or we didn't even look at the legitimate ones? Well, if you can't remember, we need to look at them again. (laughs) All right. So uh, Gina knows because she always tracks them. No? All right. That's all right. Proverbs 10, 3. Obviously, the Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger but he will reject the craving of the wicked. So there's two terms there. There's the hunger term and the craving term, and they're different Hebrew words, all right? We want to understand there's something that's legitimate, there's something that's not legitimate. And there's a difference between being hungry and craving, okay? Uh, being ravenous. And there's a difference between, uh, you know, enjoying a, a, a cheeseburger and, and gorging yourself on 20 cheeseburgers, okay? Uh, in, in moderation versus immoderate. And that's in terms of gluttony, in terms of drunkenness, uh, in terms of the, the sexual perversions whereby there's the design and then there's the inordinate amount, the addicts and whatnot, okay? 
That's what we're dealing with. Proverbs 16, 26. A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger, his hunger urges him on. Hunger is motivational. Hunger is, is a great motivation. If a man will not work, neither let him eat. Uh, it's, a, it's a great motivation that helps as a goad to realize, you know what, um, yeah, today I'm, I'm hungry, tomorrow I'm going to be hungrier, the day after that I'll be hungrier, and not too many days from that I'll be dead. So I've got I've to eat. I've gotta, it's a marvelous motivation. And God designed it that way for a reason. I think every appetite is designed that way. That's why we hunger. It's why we thirst. That's why we get lonely. That's why we crave relationships and friendships and love and, and acceptance and belonging and so forth. Uh, the, the sex drive is normal in, uh, in, in humanity as we are designed to be a procreative um, realm of creation. And so uh, we understand it there, all right? Uh, Deuteronomy 8.3 hungers and he provided for them in fact he provided everything for them in the wilderness they did their their shoes didn't wear out my shoes are about to wear out i'm waiting for the tax-free weekend deuteronomy 8 and verse 3 only because i think i pay enough taxes anyway so let's just wait for that particular weekend he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know. See, he let you be hungry. He's got a purpose for that. A certain amount of hunger is good as it reinforces who he is and, and your need of him. Fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. You know, every time your stomach grumbles, it should be a reminder that uh, you've got to feed your body and you've got to feed your soul. And there's earthly food and there's heavenly food. And so, uh, you know, a grumbly belly every so often is, is good for you. The man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that Yahweh, your Elohim, the Lord your God, was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Anyway, there's other issues there in Deuteronomy 8. Psalm 34.10 the young lions do hunger. I like Psalm 34. I've liked Psalm 34 for a long time. Psalm 34.10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I don't know. I like Shark Week and other things on national geographic channel and you just kind of filter out some of the evolutionary stuff that comes across there and just ignore that garbage but you know then you watch and you watch the lion jump on a wildebeest and you watch you watch a crocodile devour something you watch a shark devour something and, and i just it's amazing to me to, to just see the power of nature and to see these things and uh, to, to look at the, the little cubs that are just learning how to walk for the first time or learning how to pounce for the first time as they practice pouncing on one another you know, a young lion may, may uh, you know, he's developing his skills and he may, uh, uh, he may not quite be able to bring down what he needs to bring down. That's why, you know, while they're young, <laughs> hopefully, the mom's bringing stuff down for him. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing, okay? If, if God has withheld it from you, you don't need it. He's got a purpose for withholding it from you. This is a season in which he is demonstrating your need of him. He's teaching you something through the momentary withholding. It's not a lifelong lack. It's not a permanent lack. God doesn't hate you. He's not withholding things and, and, uh, and so forth. Not one good thing. Not one does he withhold. And, uh, and I appreciate that. And so we see it there. All right, Matthew 5, 6. Keep these things in perspective. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, that's the blessing in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Go all the way down there to blessed are the peacemakers. That's the favorite verse for the Sheriff's Department. <laughs> okay, uh, Austin Police Department and so forth. The peacemakers. For they uh, shall be called the sons of God. In any event, God provides. 
And uh, how many people have that hunger for righteousness, the hunger and thirst for righteousness? And it's sad that they receive it. They have positional righteousness because they're saved, but they don't pursue, they don't hunger and thirst after the experiential righteousness, the, the living and abiding word of God. They're not panting as the deer pants for the truth. Chapter 6, verse 25 and following. Matthew six twenty-six. No, 25 and following. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. And uh, of course, life, there's physical life, there's livelihood, there's spiritual life. As to what you will eat or what you will drink, and or for your body, as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, we're told that if we have food and covering, with these we should be content. But here we're told, don't even worry about those, <laughs> okay? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God knows we need these things. These are normal, these are legitimate, these are human. It's a part of the human walk. And uh, God knows all about it. He designed it. Jesus walked it. See, He understands it. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You know, and, and think about the realm of humanity. What is humanity designed to do? Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you, uh, are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. All right? And so there's, there's principles that are being presented here to teach these truths. Down to verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, he's got a plan, and, and humanity is the pinnacle of that plan. And you see all of his attention to detail. The, the very hairs of your head are numbered. God, has, God is involved, sorry, God is in, involved in the minutiae. <laughs> all right? He knows all these things. I was talking to a guy Monday night, and, and, and you know, he, he thinks that God is somehow so big that he's not paying attention to little stuff. I said, oh, no, he pays attention to little stuff, too. That's how glorious he is. Okay? We're the, we're the puny creatures that tend to prioritize and, and focus on big things and, and we run out of time and we run out of attention or energy or care. And, 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 but God's not like that. Even the tiniest little detail, like the number of hairs on your head, he knows all that. He's involved. And uh, we can rejoice over that. The grass. He's involved with every blade of grass. All right. Will he not much more clothe you, you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? If we have food and covering, with these we should be content, and God is providing for these. For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And that's the, that's the mind of the unbeliever. The world is just chasing after money. You know, he who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> okay? And just pile it up and pile it up and get more and get more because you can never have enough. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All right? Seek first. Not seek only, but seek first. It's not right to just, you know, be praying and go to church and just do, study your Bible and then never, never submit a resume anywhere or never uh, go to a job interview or never take a job or never work. That's wrong. You don't just sit at home thinking, well, why, you know, why is God not feeding me? It doesn't say seek only. It says seek first. Okay? Seek first, and all these things will be added unto you. And uh, so you have your pr first priority first, then you better have your temporal priority as a temporal priority. And then consider that it's been added to you that God is the one who's provided. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You worked for it, yes. But you worked in obedience to God. You worked in, by His grace, in His design. You sought his will for the door that he opened. And, uh, and you employed the, uh, the health that he provided you in all these things. All right. And then finally, um, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You take that verse and you have a daily application. You have a daily application. And, you, and you, that verse does not contradict Proverbs. You add it to Proverbs. Yes, there's long-term planning, of course. Look to the Yanto sluggard and we're going to save up and we're going to have investments and all that. 
But at the same time that we are thinking and planning long-term, we're also living and operating day by day. They're both true. And we better be living both applications for the glory of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that as well. All right. Legitimate appetites. God designed them. Didn't have to design them that way, but he did. (laughs) Right? He made us like the animals where we have to eat. He made us like, uh, you know, we have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to drink, all these things. It's, it's normal. And I'm glad that he did, because I like eating. All right. But then there's illegitimate cravings. All right? Illegitimate. I mean, think how boring it would be if he would have made us like plants. We just stand in the sun and absorb, you know, sunlight and, and photosynthesis taking place within us. And how boring is that, you know? Don't want bumblebees to come along and pollinate us or whatever. No, I like the God designed us for right? Food and all the other family functions. God is so good. All right. Then there's the illegitimate cravings. The illegitimate cravings. They are not designed by God. They're actually perverted by man and by Satan. All right. The consequence of the fall. The consequence of the fall. God designs uh, marriage, one man, one woman, and humans come along and say, hey, you know what would be fun? Let's, let's try something different. <laughs> let's, try, let's try more. I want, I want four women. I want ten women. I want a thousand women. Okay? Or I want ten thousand women. I don't want to marry any of them. Let's just, let's just do whatever. Okay? Or all the other perversions. Gluttony. Drunkenness. You know, food is good, so more food is better. And all the rest. Again, uh, the cravings, it says in Proverbs 10, 3. He will not allow the righteous to hunger, but what does he say about the cravings of the wicked? He will reject the craving of the wicked. And even when in permissive will he allows for the, the wicked to achieve what they want, the soul is not so designed to be content or satisfied or provided for. There's no happiness in that. There's no blessing in that. There's no, I mean, he designed for the, the, the male soul and the female soul and the man and the woman come together. The two become one. What God has joined together and those souls are, are knit together. And there's designed a biblical intimacy there that uh, does not happen in the, in the perversions. It does not happen in the illegitimate cravings. And you can try and try and keep on trying and as the frantic inventor at Search for Happiness, more and more and more and more, and it's just nothing satisfies. Okay? The dust I gathered around me only mocked my soul's sad cry. Okay? That, that uh, Clariteer Williams song. Uh, Proverbs 11.6 The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. The worst part about perverted appetites is not only are they never satisfied, but they become enslaving. They become absolutely enslaving. And when it's, when it's perverted, when it's abnormal, okay, now a normal hunger will intensify and will intensify and you've got to eat. You've got to, and, and eventually, of course, you do starve to death if you don't eat. But a perverted appetite, a perverted appetite enslaves. It becomes compelling. The, the, the drug addict needs his next fix. The alcoholic needs his next drink. The glutton needs that next snack, that next meal, that next... They're looking forward to the next one, and it just never stops. The sex addict is always craving, where's my next victim? Where's my next partner? Where's my next whatever? And, and it becomes enslaving. And I, I like the language of this. It's the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. And that language of caught is what we're studying right now in, in Galatians 6.1. Anyone caught in any trespass, even if, beloved, or brethren, restore such a one, okay? And the idea of caught, I think the Bible makes clear that when we, when we play with sin or, or, or dally with, with some of these things, we're playing with fire. These things become enslaving, they become addictive. And time and time again, I believe we've got passages of Scripture that address that again and again and again. One of the things I believe humanity was designed was with a component of loyalty. I think humanity is designed to be loyal. And because that's God's image. God is loyal. He's loyal to himself. He's loyal to his son. He's loyal to us. And I think we are designed to be loyal. 
And so we're, we're loyal to, to family, we're loyal to friends, we're loyal to like kind as in terms of tr- clan and tribe and nation. We have there's a thing called loyalty that's normal as a part of humanity, but then it becomes perverted as a consequence of sin. And the design of human loyalty becomes the, 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 the sin of, of fallen um, addictions. Where we get into not just patterns and habits, but ruts and enslavements and, and addictions, say. All right, so that's uh, Proverbs 11.6. Proverbs 13.25. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite. That's the first half, all right? And you learn. In fact, in dieting, you learn portion control, and you learn, you know, you, you pre-fill your plate with a portion that you know is your portion, <laughs> and then you thank the Father for it, and then you convince yourself that that's sufficient, <laughs> all right? And, and you resist going back for seconds and thirds and scooping another... Uh, thing of, of tater tots on your plate or whatever. You know, I mean, you're just, you've already pre-scheduled what it is that you're, and you're satisfied. The appetite has been met. And I say, all right, this, these calories are sufficient. I will not starve to death before my next meal. <laughs> I've eaten enough to survive to the next meal. Anyway, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the stomach of the wicked is in need. There's always the need for more. There's never the satisfaction. And in, I think when it becomes perverted like that, you've lost the capacity to appreciate what God has provided and the blessings of who He is for providing it. So thank you, Father, in all that you provide. Uh, Isaiah 9.20. Remember this? Isaiah 9.20. Wasn't that long ago, was it? We were in Isaiah chapter 9. <laughs> Context for this, I guess I'll pick up on uh, verse 18. Wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It even sets the thickets of the forest aflame. And they roll upward in a column of smoke by the fury of the Lord. I think Israel was much more forested than we understand. In Old Testament times, I believe Israel was greatly forested. Um, we're just kind of stuck by the video images we see today of what modern Israel looks like. By the fury of the Lord, the host of the land is burned up and the people are like fuel for the fire. No man spares his brother. They slice off what is on the right hand but are still hungry. And they eat what is on the left hand, or they eat the left hand, um, but they are not satisfied. Each of them eats the flesh of his own arm. Well, that gets gruesome, (laughs) okay? You know, but I mean, seriously, how hungry do you got to be where you eat everything in your right hand, you eat everything in your left hand, and then, well, let me start eating my arm, okay? And you're never satisfied. Micah 7 and verse 3. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Micah 7 3. Woe is me, for I'm like the fruit pickers, like the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat or a first ripe fig which I crave. The godly person is perished from the land. There is no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe, and a great man speaks the desire of his soul. So they weave it together notice nobody's happy (laughs) nobody's satisfied they're all seeking after these things and their illegitimate cravings their illegitimate appetites are not being provided for god will not grant the satisfaction in these things anyway the desire of his soul the craving of his soul and think of the damage that's done And, and in some respects this may be where we fail this may, or I'll just speak for myself, this may be where we truly struggle to apply grace and to, and to relate to people because 
honestly, I don't understand the appetite. I don't understand the hunger. I don't understand. There, there are particular sins. I don't get why they're attractive. I mean, to me, I just, I, I, I cannot fathom what, why they hunger after that. Okay? But then again, maybe they can't fathom why, why my sin is my sin. <laughs> you know? Maybe, uh, I don't know, just kind of, my sins seem kind of normal, but maybe they, they uh, wouldn't understand my appetites or my sin. In any event, it gets greater and greater and greater and the desire of the soul. And so at a certain point, all we can do is, is become intercessors in prayer and say, Father, when I don't know what to ask or think, your spirit can intercede with the groaning student for understanding. And when I can't fathom the desire of such a fractured soul and a damaged soul and a perverted soul, then Father, give me the compassion that will, that will intercede and pray and love, even if uh, I don't understand that appetite for what it is. Anyway, I think there's a lot more there in Micah. Micah is just an amazing message in, uh, in so many ways. This is where our sins are cast in the depth of, depths of the sea, by the way, in Micah 7.19. So when you ignore the, the uh, minor prophets, I think you, you lose a lot of powerful doctrine. All right, finally then, Philippians 3.19. Philippians 3.19. Don't be shocked <laughs> when the people you're dealing with uh, have a different God than you do, okay? Because their God is their um, belly, okay? Their appetite. And belly is kind of a euphemism. A belly is anything that's under the belt, okay? And so that could be sexual organs. It could be, um, you know, it, it, it's an appetite not only for food and drink, but an appetite for, for lust, an appetite for all kinds of things. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and tell you now, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. And this is the never-satisfied carnal appetite. It's illegitimate. God did not design it. God is not providing for it. The God of this age tries to provide for it, but really it's not providable. Okay? And, and even when Satan does provide for it, he's not really providing for it. He's giving them what they want. He's, he's feeding what they're, what they're hungry for, but the soul is not designed to receive that. whose end is their destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. See, when you've crossed that line, when what used to be shameful is now glory, that's a point of no return. That's a, that's a giving over. Okay? You used to deny certain things. Now you're out of the closet. You used to deny certain, certain things. Now you brag about it. You used to not talk about certain things. They were unmentionable. And now... Man, that's all that gets spoken about. Every movie, every TV show, every conversation. Um, and they glory in it. When it's no longer shameful, when it's celebrated, you've crossed that line. And that's what this verse talks about. Who set their minds on earthly things. You get a mindset. Your mind is trapped. Similar to what we saw in uh, Proverbs, the snare. They are caught. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we have proper appetites, then we're anxious for the return of Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. And uh, we look forward to that as well. So the legitimate appetites, the illegitimate cravings. And I like the fact that in Proverbs 10, there's different words there, Hebrew words for appetite and, and craving. Okay? Back to Proverbs 10 then. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. And we'll talk about point 7 now. Proverbs 10, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to combine these two verses into a development, into a commentary here. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So this has to do with being a slug or, or being diligent in the workplace. 
Uh, he who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in a harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Not only working hard, but also working smart, recognizing uh, what day it is, recognizing what season it is, recognizing uh, who you are and where you are. And uh, just as righteousness versus wickedness, this is point seven, just as righteousness versus wickedness is the manifest contrast of God's revealed realm of wisdom, all right, and we've been dealing with that again and again and again and again. There's a manifest contrast in God's revealed realm of wisdom. Probably all of us can illustrate, all of us can teach because we've been in these classes. So righteousness versus wickedness. That's the manifest either-or contrast in God's revealed realm of wisdom. We have now diligence versus negligence as a manifest contrast in God's designed realm of work. In God's designed realm of work. Okay? We want to have wisdom in our work. We want to have wisdom in what we do. And God has designed the realm of work and He's designed it to require diligence Remember, work is not a consequence of the fall. Work was a blessing of God before the fall. Work was the design for Adam, in, in sinless Adam, in the Garden of Eden. The garden itself is testimony to work. The garden is not a wilderness. Okay, The garden was planted in the land of Eden. The garden was tended. The garden needed to be tended. So, you know, you can talk about a different you know, the Amazon jungle, okay? The jungles, we walked, Steve and I walked, uh, walked through some jungles in Uganda. And, uh, and then, you know, you're traipsing through the jungles and then you step into this clearing, you step into this area and there's a clear difference between the jungle and the garden, okay? This, this plot has been tended. This plot has, has been weeded and, and tended and, and anyway, you could, it's an obvious difference. Eden was not the rest of the planet. God planted that garden and then assigned Adam the responsibility to, to replicate that, to spread that globally. All right. We're going to have some subpoints on this. Um, we're going to get to chapter 12 and chapter 19. We can look at those now. Uh, but the, the difference between diligence versus negligence. And um, as a general rule of thumb, this is, of course, applicable to believers and unbelievers alike. Uh, it's a general rule that a, a negligent worker doesn't make much money. <laughs> that uh, someone that is only willing to work uh, 10 hours a week is uh, not going to make the kind of income that somebody has worked 60 hours a week as a rule of thumb. Okay, um, You know, someone that, that takes 12 weeks off a year and only works 40 uh, is not going to have the income of somebody that works 50 or 52 weeks a year. Rule of thumb. The hand of the diligent makes rich. Okay, That's just the normal operation for humanity. We're designed to work. Chapter 12. Oh, uh, verse 5 also. He who gathers in summer. You know, there are seasons, and certain seasons are designed for planting, and certain seasons are designed for harvest. And, and, you just can't do whatever you feel like whenever you feel like. You can't just decide on a whim, I'm going to go reap a harvest today when you didn't plant six months ago. What were you doing back in the planting time? You lazy slug. Don't, you know, and don't blame God for not providing for you. You were disobedient during the, during the planting season and now you're, uh, you're trying to blame Him during the harvest season. So sleeping and harvest and uh, gathering in summer. Anyway, you got the poetry there. Chapter 12 and verse 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the, hand, the slack hand will be put to forced labor. There's diligence and there's laziness. The slack hand, the empty hand. And slack, there's, there's, uh, there's idiomatic uses there as well. But... Um, who is it that's, that's working hard? Who is it that's risking the capital? Who is it that's investing in, in their own business? Who is it that... This is why uh, Satan has so turned things upside down in 
pretty much in, in, in labor unions and in, in all kinds of things related to this, in um, exalting the worker over the owner of a business, for example. And um, there's the diligent, there's the slack. And, and who's the employer and who's the employee? And who's working for the other person and why? And uh, are you working for the other person or do you have other people working for you? And why? All right. And uh, what has God designed us for in our um, capacity as workers? See? And, and, and you realize there's, I'm not saying that that one is always right and one is always wrong. I'm saying that we need to understand who is who and in which capacity do I glorify Jesus Christ? Because both groups should. Both groups should glorify Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and, and that. But I don't want to rebel. I don't, wanna, I don't want to turn it upside down or claim that the, the, uh, the, the wealth of a company is in the labor. The labor theory of value is satanic. It's not biblical. All right? Labor uh, of what, what is produced by that company. Okay? The Acme Widget Company. All right? Whatever the case may be. I'll try to make it anonymous so I'm not talking about any particular corporation that, I, that I'm fond of. Okay? But any... Uh, that that why does that company exist? And what is that company anyway? That that company is the 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 effort of the owners and investors of that company. All right. And so somebody decides to uh, to produce something, and they are they are working and they are producing something, and they're getting value in that production. And so, who owns that? When it comes right down to it. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not covet and thou shalt not steal. And we need to know what, what these things are or we're going to be maladjusted. And the idea that the laborer, the slack hand, the, uh, has ownership, has sovereignty. Are they producing value to the product? Okay. And who owns the product anyway? The la- the The... The laborers don't. That's the whole point. When Jesus taught that parable of the laborers and they were grumbling about how they were getting paid and the, and the master said, look, these guys, they worked an hour. I wanted to pay them the same thing I paid everybody else. That's because I'm generous, is what the Lord said with the, in, that, in that parable. And the workers had no right to grumble over getting paid the same thing that everybody else was paid because they agreed to it. They said, yeah, I'll work for you all day long for this fee. Well, then there you go. You're a worker. That's what you're entitled to. Your claim is, is what you've contracted for. And nothing more. See? We'll have more on this coming up because I think this is huge. And I think our culture's lost sight of, of what capitalism even is and why it is that people take discretionary money and invest it and work it and produce things with it instead of just consuming everything. Money is not just to be consumed in any event. Did you read about Twinkie? Do you know what Twinkie? Hostess Twinkies, they were bankrupt three years ago. All right? They are with a vengeance. You want to know why? Using biblical principles, that's why. Okay? And, and, and it, was, it was the unions that bankrupt them. And, and now, when they used to have 22,000 workers, now with less than 2,000, they laid off 94% of their workers with six percent of the workforce they're producing 20 million donuts uh, 20 million twinkies a day all right it used to it used to take 30 factories now with all these bakeries now with with one or two with it's amazing what they've done labor does not contribute to the value of a product it detracts from the the the, the value of a product the cost of labor is the biggest expense that subtracts from the value of the product. All right. Anyway, we'll have more to say on that as we work our way through Proverbs. Where am I? Chapter 12, verses 24 and 27. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the hand of the slack, there we go, will be put to forced labor. So you've got ownership and labor. 
management and labor. And even management has to be curtailed as they are subject to ownership. Uh, Verse 27, a lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. The precious possession of a man is diligence. When you you instill a work ethic into your children, one of the biggest favors you'll ever do for them. All right? If you hand everything to them and they don't understand the value of working for something, that hurts. You're actually damaging them. And right now I'm wondering about the millennials. What kind of work ethic do they have? Proverbs 19.15 Laziness cast into a deep sleep and an idle man will suffer hunger. That's normal. It's the way the world works. Until Satan comes along and remolds the world in his image and says, well, in, under my cosmos, um, that's all right. We can, we'll provide for laziness. And, and, and all they do basically is create a, a, an alternative economy whereby idleness is rewarded and, and the price that's paid is, is votes and uh, different things there. Some points now. God is not negligent. <laughs> we ought to image God in His diligence. We ought to image God in His diligence. God is a worker. God's a hard worker. He's a smart worker. God's designing everything in its proper season. When you, when you look at the glory of God's design, you realize that He is not negligent. He is, he is um, precise in all that He does. Habakkuk 2.3 and 2 Peter 3.9. He's not negligent. He's not slow as some count slowness, but he's patient towards each one of you, desiring for none to perish but for all to come to repentance. God is not negligent. God's not stupid. (laughs) God's not error prone and all these things. As if, well, God made a mistake. I was was born in in a male body, but I feel like I'm really, I should be female. Well, how stupid do you think God is? Okay, with a theistic worldview, your uh, your insanity is a non-starter because the God of creation doesn't make those kind of mistakes. That's on a biblical view. On an evolutionary view, your insanity is a non-starter also, <laughs> because on an evolutionary view. Your uh, insanity is uh, not uh, survival of the fittest eligible, so um, the species just needs to get rid of you. On an evolutionary view, um, the next generation doesn't need you. See what I'm saying? That's cold and heartless, I know, but that's why this insanity, either in biblical Christianity or in evolution, either way, the whole transgender thing is uh, is a non-starter. Habakkuk 2.3. The vision is, you see, here's Habakkuk saying, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. That's why prayer meetings are so vital. We're on the watch. We're on the wall. We're on the alert. We're waiting. Not only are we alert for the enemies, but we're also waiting for the, uh, the word to come from the Lord. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. (laughs) For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. Okay? Though it tarries, wait for it. God knows what He's doing. He's not negligent. He may be delaying for certain reasons, and thank God that He does. Understand His wisdom is better than ours. We're the impatient ones. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, that is the one that does not have the perspective on God's wisdom and God's plan, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Understand that? The just will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And this comes out of Habakkuk long before Paul ever quotes it, before we have all those New Testament applications, right? But the just walking by faith, specifically in this context, is walking day by day and patiently trusting 
in, in God's non-negligence as he brings his plan about in the perfection of his will, in the perfection of his timing. And then obviously 2 Peter 3.9, we talk about that. Mockers come with their mocking. And this is our generation. This is our... Uh, and, and tragically, this is um, non-dispensational Christianity. 2 Peter chapter 3. You ever notice? And it, it just bugs me sometimes. It just seems like when we have theological um, divergence and we want to maybe search the scriptures and see if these things are so, we want to maybe discuss different matters, it seems like there is a side that has no grace towards us. And they mock and they ridicule, they, they write web, websites and blogs, and, 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 and it's like their whole life is dedicated to convincing people that dispensationalists are morons. And, and that um, evangelicals are morons. And, and, and it's just, you know, I, I will preach the truth and I will discuss where I think other, other theologies are off track, but I'm not going to dedicate my life to mocking people or, or tearing them down or belittling them. I mean, there's just no grace, no, uh, no love. Where, where, where's the Christ in that? And, uh, and I just see a spirit of uh, an ugly, ugly spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. And it's just ripping up other believers. What motivates that? Yeah. And if it's, if it's the demons motivating that, how accurate are those theological views? <laughs> what are we really defending in certain things? No, we ought to image God. He's not negligent and he's not slow. So in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? You know, writing cartoons because of Brexit. That, oh, now uh, uh, Tim LaHaye has to change all his dispensational charts because, because of Brexit. And, ooh, now we've got to change all of our dispensations because of Brexit. The, the, the fact that England is leaving the, the EU and if, if, if Great Britain leaves, if the United Kingdom leaves the EU, then somehow um, Tim LaHaye and all the other dispensationalists are wrong in, in their left-behind theology or in their... And it's just mocking, it's, it's ridiculous, it's, it's bizarre. All right? The, the Brexit vote doesn't make me change my dispensational charts. It's still on the wall in the hallway over there. <laughs> okay? I know when the church age will end. When the trumpet sounds, when the rapture, when Jesus Christ descends. And I'm not dating dates or looking at the EU or trying to use uh, newspaper uh, uh, hermeneutics. Okay? Anyway. The Lord is not slow. Verse 8 says, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. His timetable is not our timetable. We are the temporal creatures that live day by day, and He is the eternal I Am. The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, what's interesting about diligence, diligence requires patience. Diligence requires a long-term view. The, the, the lazy, the slack, the sluggard, everything that Proverbs describes as the opposite of diligence is the short-sighted view that does not plan, that does not work long-term. It's the, it's the short-sighted view of the, of the uh, hostess uh, <laughs> unions that struck, even though they were warned, if you strike, hostess will go bankrupt. And they, they, they decided to strike, and hostess went bankrupt. And now 20,000 former union members are out of work. Because the value is not in the lazy, the value is in the diligent. Okay? All right. We ought to image God and God's diligence. And so we're going to see this. We'll come back. Well, we've got a few minutes. Let's look at these as we model as we image God in diligence. Not only is it a smart thing to do, not only is it a wise thing to do, um, not only is it something that produces wealth, it glorifies Jesus Christ. It imitates the Father. That's why it produces wealth. That's what the Father does. 
the Father works, we should be working. So Proverbs 12, 24 and 27. We looked at those already. Yes, we did. Proverbs 13, 4. We didn't look at that one yet. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. There is a benefit, a benefit that's produced through the diligence. There is a health to the soul, a value to the soul, because we're imitating God. We are following the example that God himself sets. God's soul is, what what condition is God's soul in? His soul is in a marvelous condition. And so is ours as we imitate him. Proverbs 21.5. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Why does Satan always promise these get-rich-quick schemes? Why is it always the, the quick and easy way? Why is it always, wow, just take this pill, you don't have to exercise, you don't have to work. Man, this is just the, the quick fix. It's so easy. Oh, you don't have to work. It doesn't take effort. But, but see, they miss the point of what does that effort produce? The, uh, the whole point is not being rich, but making wealth. Making others rich. That's the point. We're going to talk about that when we discuss the nature of wealth. It's not being poor and being rich. It's are we producing wealth and enriching the lives of others? That's what we're doing in the Christian way of life. Even if we ourselves are dirt, pro- dirt broke. We can be poor yet make many rich, as the Scripture says. Jesus was that prime example. So uh, that's Proverbs 21.5. Romans 12.11 Romans 12, 11, some New Testament truth related to this. Romans 12 is the, is the workings of the church together, the body of Christ. Individually, of course, we present our bodies as living sacrifices, but then corporately we come together. So we've got the individual imperatives early in the chapter, and then we have the collective imperatives later. We, uh, we see how we come together. We have gifts that differ, but we come together and we serve one another in our uh, service, in our teaching, in our exhorting, in our giving, in our mercy showing. So we have the collective application from verse 9 and following. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. We should be fulfilling these commands corporately, collectively as a body, as a local church. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. (laughs) You've got to be a part of a church or you can't fulfill that. These reciprocal imperatives require a flock. They require a body of believers. Give preference to one another in honor. The lone wolf Christian, all he can do is give preference to himself. No, give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. This is the principle. God is a worker. We're to be diligent in our work on behalf of one another. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, when that is your focus you'll be diligent. If you're serving a person, you become a slug, right? Serving a person, you start thinking, well, who's this guy? He doesn't deserve it, right? Wait a minute, I'm not serving them, I'm serving the Lord. You see what I'm talking about? When you're serving the Lord, it promotes diligence. Fervent in spirit, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. If you're serving a person, okay, your spouse in marriage, your elderly parents, your child, your teenager, whoever, if, if you're focused on the person, then it won't take long and you'll start to say, well, you don't deserve anything. What have you done for me lately? You don't appreciate what I do anyway. So to heck with you, right? Smart aleck kid, what are you spouting off to me for? Blah, 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 okay? And you start to talk to this, this ungrateful, rebellious jerk and you say, you don't deserve anything. You wait a minute, I'm not serving you, I'm serving the Lord. God has entrusted your upbringing to me. I'm to be diligent in raising you, even if you don't want me to. (laughs) Okay? We'll have to cover Colossians 3 and uh, 2 Peter 1 next week. So 7a is where we left off, and 7a is where 
we'll pick up. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your truth. Bless your word abundantly, Father, exceeding abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. Father, we want to live this out, not only so that we benefit, but that your Son is glorified, so that you are well pleased, that this lost and dying world might have a visible testimony to who you are and what you do. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.